I don't really want to preach. I just want to sing that song again. Choir, can y'all, Casey, can you come back? <laughs> you got any energy left? Dang. That was amazing. Uh, you picked a great day to be in worship today. I know you already know that, but it's going to be a, a wonderful day. Uh, my name is Tyler. If I've not gotten to meet you, I'd love to meet you when we're done out in the lobby. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 6, and I'll meet you there in just a moment. We'll start in verse 60. Uh, an update from the student ministry. There are a few students here today. I don't know if they're still awake or not, but we had a busy weekend. The ladies were here doing Daughter of the King weekend. Uh, they were here on Friday night and all day yesterday. And the guys are out at a camp out. Uh, we're on our way to get them right now. We could have brought them for this service, but um, you would not have wanted that. So they'll be back at 11 o'clock and so pray for them. But it's been a busy weekend for them, but a wonderful weekend. So uh, I'm thrilled to be with you this morning, okay? So John chapter 6, if you're there, we will start reading in verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense about this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed, and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. The title of my message today is this, The Choice is Yours. The choice is yours. It was April 10th of 1912 when the Titanic set sail from Southampton, England en route to New York City. But likely you are aware that the Titanic never made it to the New York Harbor at Pier 59. But you may not be aware of all the reasons why. There were many choices that were made by uh, the crew on the Titanic that day that if those choices had been made differently, the story may have ended very differently as well. You probably know this, but there were many iceberg warnings that were ignored by the crew. They were confident in their, in their abilities. They were familiar with the part of the sea they were in, and they had never seen this many icebergs before, and so they did not believe that it could be any different than what they were used to. It was also generally believed that uh, ice posed very little danger to a ship of that size. It was not uncommon for a large vessel like that to run into some ice and be totally fine. In fact, uh, Captain Edward Smith, the chief of the Titanic, um, the commander, uh, he was quoted saying this just a few years before. He said, I cannot imagine any condition which would cause a ship to fail because of ice. Modern shipbuilding has gone way beyond that. It's also believed that Captain Smith was aiming to set a record for the quickest uh, journey across this part of the sea. It was quoted saying this, that simply put, Titanic was traveling way too fast in an area known to contain ice. And that's the bottom line. I also learned that there were binoculars on board the ship, but they were locked away in a locker, and the key was not on the boat. Uh, the second in command was replaced just a few days prior to the ship departing, and he forgot to pass the keys on to his replacement. 
There were only enough lifeboats to carry one-third of the ship's capacity. Now, on that night, the ship was not to capacity, but still, even if all the lifeboats were filled, uh, there would only have been enough for half of the ship's capacity for that night. On that night, there were many passengers that did not believe the Titanic was sinking, even though they were told that it was. Quote, it seemed much nicer to stay on board a warm and bright ship, so many lifeboats left half empty. And finally, we know that the crew had not been adequately trained on how to carry out an evacuation. They did not know how many people could uh, safely board one lifeboat, and so many lifeboats were sent away half full. Today, the average American is faced with roughly 35,000 conscious decisions every single day. Does that stress anybody out? Just think about that. 35,000 decisions every day? Okay, you've made probably several thousand already today, right? Now, most of them are, are not, do not have the ramifications of, of the Titanic. Most of them are like, what color pants am I going to wear today and what are we going to do for dinner? But then again, we never know the magnitude of the choices that we face every day. And so my question to us this morning before we jump into this text is this. Are we making choices in light of ourselves? Or are we making these choices in light of something much bigger than ourselves? So in John chapter 6, let me, let me get us, uh, help us get a running start at this text so we kind of know what's going on. So at the beginning of John chapter 6, Jesus would feed 5,000 people. It was probably more like 10 to 12,000 because of women and children. You've probably heard the story. Uh, it was an amazing miracle. So th- there's about 10 to 12,000 people hearing Jesus teach, and they're hungry. You ever been hungry in church before? Yeah, okay. So you know what that's like. And so Jesus turns to his 12 disciples, says, hey, do you have any food? And they say, no, but this boy over here has this Lunchable. And so the disciples, they go and steal the boy's lunch, which we never talk about that, but that's like not nice, right? But they take his Lunchable and Jesus blesses it, multiplies it. And all of a sudden we have Golden Corral on demand. Everybody eats until they are full like it's Thanksgiving Day. And then there is an abundance of leftovers, an amazing miracle. In fact, it's so amazing, this is the only miracle accounted for in all four Gospels. So these people the next day, just like you and I, they find themselves hungry again. And so the Bible says that Jesus and his disciples had retreated. They had crossed the Sea of Galilee to a town called Capernaum, and a portion of the crowd follows. And they find Jesus in the synagogue talking to his disciples, and they say, Hey, Jesus, uh, you remember yesterday? Uh, we're hungry again. So like, what's on the menu for today? Can we do like pizza or steaks or whatever, right? They come literally, literally looking for more food. And so Jesus would take advantage of this opportunity and he would try to make this a spiritual moment. He would say, hey, like, I know you're looking for, for physical food, but I am, I'm kind of like the bread of life. If anybody would eat of me, then he would never go hungry again. And his disciples are like, that's cool, but like, we're hungry. So like, that's great, but can we eat first? And he says, no, 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 like, listen. And Jesus would take it a step further and he would say this, I'm the bread of life that has come down from heaven. And if anybody would eat of me, he will never go hungry again and he will have eternal life. And the mood shifts because now Jesus is saying something that can get himself in a lot of trouble. And that day, if you claim to be from heaven and you're not, you're crazy and you can be put to death. But thankfully, we know that Jesus was who he said he was, and so all is good. But these people are like, Jesus, you're, you're talking crazy now. You need to be careful. But Jesus would not back away from what was true. So he would take it a step further and say, 
If anybody would eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, he shall have eternal life. And at this point, the women are grabbing the children and running for the back door because the man on stage is talking about eating my flesh and drinking my blood, and it sounds absolutely crazy. And so this brings us to verse 60 when his followers say this, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? As we go through this text today, we're going to discover four different types of followers who were present in this encounter. Four different types of followers. And my hope is that you can identify with one of these four types of followers. Maybe right now, maybe it's in the past, maybe one of these is a goal for you. You want to be this kind of follower, okay? But the first kind of follower we find is this. So point number one, if you want to take notes today, is this. We see confused followers. Confused followers. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Just so we all are on the same page today, will you just raise your hand if you've ever been sitting in church and you've heard something or read something in the Bible that just confused you? Would you just put your hand up so we can all see who falls into that category? Okay, it's pretty much all of us, all right? And so we can empathize with these disciples when they say, like, Jesus, we don't know what you're talking about. Now keep in mind, this is not just the 12 disciples. This is a larger group of followers, okay? But they say, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? If you've been following Jesus for a while, if you've been coming to church for a long time, there are things that we say and things that we do that, that mean a lot to us, but it's that moment when you bring somebody to church like for the first time and they're not used to it, and all of a sudden you start to see church through their eyes, and like the worship leader gets up, just picture Casey up here next to me, and he says, open your hymnals to him, whatever it is, and let's sing together, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? And we're like, oh, Lord Jesus, I love that song, amen. And your friend is like, uh, what are we doing right now? I don't want to be washed in any kind of blood, and so no thank you, right? We have things that mean a lot to us and things that we say and things that we read that for a new believer or someone who does not understand the gospel seems confusing, right? And so these people were confused. And in fact, if you read in verse 61, Jesus says to them, uh, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling, he said, do you take offense at this? And so we know that the gospel, not only is it confusing at times, but it can be offensive at times. But again, Jesus would not back away from what was true. The time had come to let truth endure. And he would not back away from the truth. And so church, for us, there's gonna be times as you're following Jesus, that you might be confused by something. You might be offended by something in God's word. It's like, God, when I, when I put my trust in you, I was totally in with, with you know, being blessed and, and being saved and having eternal life, but I didn't really know that you would come for this part of my life, and so I'm not really sure that I'm in on this anymore. We get offended. But man, I encourage you, church, that remember that if we're following Jesus just to feel good, or have a good time, we might be disappointed every now and then. Because the gospel at its core is raw, it's gritty, it's PG-13 at least. And so we cannot back away from what is true. So this leads us to point number two. We see our second group of followers. We see divided followers. Verse 64, Jesus says, there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. This is what I love about Jesus, is he was an equal opportunity savior. Is, is an equal opportunity savior. 
faith, the, the invitation to follow Jesus was and still is available for everybody. But it still says that Jesus knew in the beginning those who would not follow, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the, the few, the chosen. No, for God so loved the world. It was the world back then and it's still the world today in 2019. And so our God is a whosoever kind of God. Jesus is a whosoever kind of savior. And so we must be whosoever kind of people. But what's hard to, under, to, to, to not understand, but what's hard to accept about this is it says that Jesus knew from the beginning those who would not believe. And so the question is, what does it mean by beginning? Beginning of this verse, beginning of this story, beginning of the Bible, beginning of time? And the answer is yes. Yes, the beginning of all those things. Jesus knew from the beginning who would follow and who would not. So go with me just for a second. Let's go back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, right? Anytime we're, we're confused or maybe offended by something, let's go back to the beginning when God designed everything and figure out what was God's intention, okay? So Genesis 1, God creates everything, and he creates everything by speaking things into existence, right? The sun, the moon, the stars, the plants, the animals, the mountains, the beaches, everything you can imagine, God creates by simply speaking it into existence. Genesis 2, the camera kind of zooms in. And we see the way that God creates the first man. But God creates man very differently than he created everything else. He's much more careful. He's much more calculated. He gets down in the dirt. His fingers get dirty. He's very intentional with the way he creates the man. There are parts of the human body that are more complicated and more complex even than the universe itself. And so God creates this incredible creation, but then he breathes his breath of life into the man and says, let's create man in our own image. And so we see from Genesis 2 that you and I as people are created above everything else in the created order. Not even the angels, the heavenly beings were created in God's image. And so we see that of everything God created, everything, even the things that we can't fathom, that you and I are his most prized creation. He loves you and is more proud of you than anything else he created. But then we turn the page to Genesis chapter 3 and we see that God gives us a choice. He gives us the choice to obey or not. He gives us the choice to reciprocate that love or not. And it leads us to ask, like, why would God even do that? Because the Bible says that the Lord wills that all would come to repentance, that nobody would perish. But we also know that Again, Jesus knew those who would not follow, and those who do not follow are sent to a place called hell for eternity. And so if God knew from the beginning that some would not follow, why would he even give us the choice? That doesn't seem like a loving God. Let me tell you a story. So uh, my daughter is two years old. I talked about her last time I was up here, and I'll probably talk about her next time too, so just get ready for it, okay? Um, and as Kennedy, has as Kennedy has learned to talk, it's been a lot of fun. She picks up on some words quicker than others, like mama and dada and pickle and other words. But when we try to teach her to say, I love you, that doesn't come as quickly. It's a harder thing to say. And, but we would say it to her all the time. And like when my wife leaves for work, I'll say, hey, say love you, mommy. Say love you, mommy. And like after four or five times, she might finally say something close to it. And we're like, okay, that's, that's good enough for us. But then a few weeks ago, we were in the car, and we were coming home. It was late. It was dark. My, uh, Ashley and I are in the front seat having a conversation, and Kennedy's in the back just talking and playing. And over our conversation, we heard from the back seat, I love you, Mommy. I love you, Daddy. 
I love you, Mommy. I love you, Daddy. And that was completely different than when I hold her by the face and say, tell me you love me. Come on, tell me, tell me you love me. Tell me. It completely pales in comparison. So our Heavenly Father, even though he loved the world and died for the world, he so desperately wants a true loving relationship with all of us that he has the courage to give us the choice to reciprocate that love. And imagine how much it breaks God's heart when most of his creation says, no, nah, I'm good. But he so wants a deep relationship with you because he loves you that he gives you the choice to love him back or not. He still died for you. He still made you in his image. He still wants to be in a relationship with you. With you. Doesn't matter what you did last night. Doesn't matter what you did last weekend in your past. It doesn't matter. He so wants a relationship with us that he gives us the choice to love him back. What a courageous choice by our Heavenly Father. And this leads us to verse 66, which might be one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. John 6, 66. That if the enemy had a favorite verse in all the Bible, this might be it. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. We're not told exactly why these followers turned back. Maybe they were offended. Maybe they were confused. Uh, we do know that people back then were waiting for a Messiah, a savior, a warrior king, kind of like David. They would overthrow Rome and bring them back to power once again. And so maybe they figured, hey, this guy's not it. He's too soft. He's a good cook, but he's not the warrior king we've been, waking, we've been waiting for, so we're out. We don't know. We don't know why they turned but all we know is they made the choice to turn and no longer follow Jesus. And so it's the big question of, are you all in or are you all out? But Jesus would turn to his 12 in verse 67 and say this, do you want to go away as well? And I'm guessing that some of them probably did. But then Simon Peter speaks up. And uh, yeah, you're laughing because most of the time when Simon Peter speaks up, everybody kind of cringes. They're like, oh, we don't know what he's going to say. But in this moment, Simon Peter gets it absolutely correct. He says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we've believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, Peter, I'm convinced he did not know the, mag the magnitude of what he was saying. He said, Lord, I don't get it all, but I know you got it all. Like, I I've been following for just about six chapters now, but I've seen enough to know that you are the Holy One of God, and I don't know who else to go to. And so Peter understood something that a lot of people don't understand until it's way too late, and it's this. That if we choose not to follow Jesus, we are choosing to follow somebody else instead. Because we are created for relationship. We are created to follow. And so if you and I choose, if we say, hey, Jesus, it's not you, then we are choosing to follow somebody else. And let me say this as well. It is possible to be saved by Jesus but for our hope and our trust to be in somebody else. They're two different issues. I said a few weeks ago that putting your trust in Jesus is not a finish line, it's a starting point. And so your salvation is secure, but eternal life can begin today. And so who is your hope and your trust in? It might be in yourself and your ability and your, your experience and your wisdom and your successes. It might be in your spouse and their wisdom and their success. 
might be in your career, might be in your 401k, your portfolio, might be in your kids and their success and their potential and their scholarship opportunities, might be in a pastor and a church leader. Again, even the godliest people, if we put our trust in anybody other than Jesus, we will be disappointed. And so is our trust in Jesus or is it in somebody else? And look at what Peter says, because the progression here is so good for us today. In verse 69, he says, We have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We have believed. And so at one point, we just believed. Like when you first showed up on the beach and you told me to move my net over and I caught a bunch of fish, like that was enough for me to to follow you, but I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Which church, remember, like it, it, you don't have to do a lot to follow Jesus. You just have to go. And that's what Peter did. He said, back then, I didn't have a lot to go on, but I believed. But now we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so now to who else shall we go? And so church, I wanna, I wanna encourage us and challenge us today at the same time. Peter only had about six chapters of proof to go on when he made this statement. You and I have... 2,000 years, we have the resurrection and we have all of this to go on. And so we have more than enough to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God and he does have the words of eternal life. I wish that the text ended there and we could just end on that note, but unfortunately it doesn't. I didn't write it. I'm just bringing the message today. So verse 70, Jesus answered them, did I not choose you the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. I don't know if I clarified point number three, but point number three is sincere followers. I may have skipped over that, but that was Peter, the sincere followers. So we have confused followers. We have divided followers. I may have skipped over that too, man, I'm just rolling. Divided followers, those who are like, I'm not sure if I'm in, not sure if I'm out. Peter represents the sincere follower. But then we get to this verse and we see that we also have selfish followers. Selfish followers. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. But what we know is that really all of his disciples would betray him. On the night before, on the night that Jesus was arrested, all of his disciples would flee. In fact, we only know know of one that was actually present at the crucifixion, that was John. But... When Jesus is buried and raises from the dead and comes back, all of his disciples come back, except for one, and that's Judas. Judas had the same front row seat that Simon Peter did. And so what did Peter see for him to make this statement that Judas completely missed? Same opportunity, same Messiah. What did Judas miss? So as we move toward the end, I want want to trace the story of Judas with you today because I think we all have a little bit of Judas inside of us. Here's what we know about Judas. Judas was a follower, one of the 12 disciples called by Jesus to follow. He believed at one point that Jesus was the Messiah, right? But for Judas, following Jesus was always a means to an end. It was always a means to an end, okay? We learn later on that Judas was a very selfish man. In fact, he was a thief. Judas was put in charge of keeping track of the money among the 12 disciples and Jesus. As they would travel, they would collect donations to keep on doing what they were doing. And Judas said, hey, I'll keep track of that. And Jesus is like, okay. Again, Jesus knew from the beginning that Judas would betray him, but he still let Judas have responsibility. 
and have leadership and be in control over something very significant, even though Jesus knew that he would betray him. There's a story later on in John where uh, the disciples and Jesus are hanging out at the home of Simon the leper, which is a bummer of a nickname, Simon the leper. And they're having a meal and a woman walks in with a very expensive jar of perfume and she breaks it and pours it over Jesus. And Jesus views this as a very, uh, as an incredible, beautiful act of worship on behalf of this woman. But Judas says, hey, like that bottle of perfume is worth more than a year's wages. How selfish of you. You could have sold that and given money to the poor. Like, what are you thinking? But we know Judas, he, he didn't care about the poor. He didn't care about this woman. He cared about his own desires, his self-seeking desires. The Bible tells us that immediately following this event, he would go to the chief priests and say, listen, guys, I thought he was it, but I'm not sure anymore. You're tired of Jesus. I'm tired of waiting on Jesus. And so what are you willing to pay? If I can deliver Jesus to you, what are you willing to pay? They would offer him 30 pieces of silver. He would take it. And a few days later, he would hand Jesus over to the chief priest. Now, let me just say this, like nobody could hand Jesus over, right? Jesus went willingly. And so Judas didn't have that kind of power, but he thought he did. So Judas hands Jesus over. And his goal, I believe, was simply to expedite the process. He's like, okay, Jesus is arrested. He's now gonna make his move, overthrow Rome, and we'll be good. The problem was Judas was acting on his own desires, not, on, not in, in, in the perspective of eternal life like Peter talked about. He was acting on his own selfish desires. What happens is Jesus is handed over to Rome and then he is led to be executed. And again, Judas thought that Jesus would rise up, he would, he would fight back, he would overthrow. Judas wanted to fight and Jesus says, no, I'm gonna go like a lamb to be led to the slaughter. I'm not, I'm not gonna fight right now. And the Bible says that Judas, upon this happening, that Judas repented. Judas repented of his actions. He took the money back to the temple. He threw it down and said, guys, I messed up. I, I can't do this. And they said, listen, that's blood money. We can't take it back. This is on you. It's too late. And then Judas would leave from there and go and hang himself. See, any time that we lose sight of the eternal perspective that Jesus has made known to us, we lose hope. We lose hope. Now, those of you that know your Bible well, you know that it was, it was a prophecy that Jesus would be betrayed. And so, yes, Judas handing Jesus over was in the will of God, but Judas didn't know that. Amen. Judas did not know that he was fulfilling a prophecy. He was acting upon his own selfish desires, which brings me hope in kind of a weird way because I know that even when I'm selfish, I can't stop God's will. God can still do things even though I screw up a whole lot and so do you. And so I'm thankful for that. But it breaks my heart because Judas, who once believed that Jesus was the Messiah, never got to see the resurrection of Jesus. And so I believe we all have a little bit of Judas inside of us today. Because we all have things that we want, right? We have plans, we have goals, we have desires. And we say, God, will you help me with this? And sometimes he does, and that's great. But there's other times when we also see that there's something that God wants. And the tension happens when what I want is not the same as what God wants. And then we're faced with a choice. There's my will and there's thy will. And sometimes we say, okay, God, then my will be done. And what we know is God will allow us to make this choice. He gives us the freedom to say, okay, my will be done. 
And then he allows us to live with the consequences of making that choice. But the longer you follow Jesus, it's not even the longer, it's the closer and the more intentionally you follow Jesus, you begin to see that, that you really know what the right choice is, don't you? It, it messes with us physically. We can't eat, we can't sleep. We're like, did I eat some bad chicken? And maybe you did, but really, it might just be God trying to get you back in line with, with what his will is. And so if we want to choose God's will over our will, sometimes we have to walk away from something that might be an ideal scenario, that dream home, that dream job, that dream vehicle, that dream person. And we're like, God, you can save anybody, but man, not everybody is as cute as he is. So can we like, can we make this work somehow? And we have to choose. And so when we take this step of faith and we let go of what we want, and we choose what God wants. I believe that God meets us with this extreme level of faithfulness and God becomes alive to us like we've never felt him alive before. We remember why we followed Jesus in the beginning because we know that we're in the will of God and that's exactly where we are designed to be. So the goal for today, the prayer for today is this. And I made it as simple as I can because I want it to be sticky, okay? Here's what we say. We say, God, I want what you want more than what I want. I want what you want more than what I want. I know what I want. That's the easy part. It's not hard at all. You got a list of things you want, right? It's almost Christmas, okay? We know what we want. That's easy. The hard part is, is when we see what God wants and they don't line up. But can I encourage you with something, church? If you're here, you're so close. This is a great place to be because a lot of people never get here, do they? Even people who've been saved by Jesus for a long, long time never get here. It's, it's, it's what I wanted because I've, I've made this for myself. I've built this life for myself. I'm successful and God wants me to have what I want. But if you're here, you're so close. You're so close. And this thing that you want may not be a bad thing. I'm not, I'm not talking about just like sinful things. That's a no-brainer. I'm talking about things that may be good but may not be what God has for you that is better. Again, it's like, God, it's not that big of a house. The car payment is not that much more than what I'm already paying, God. God, like, he's not even that cute. So, like, Lord, Lord, we, man, we, we, we want a pastor again. We need a pastor again. God, how can, we, how can we continue to follow you without a pastor? Lord, it can't be your will that we would go much longer without the kind of pastor we're used to and we're comfortable with. Jesus, how, how can I follow you without a leader, without a pastor? So we said, God, I want what you want more than what I want. Anytime that we lose sight of this eternal perspective that Jesus has made known to us, we lose hope. Anytime we put our hope in anybody other than Jesus, even ourselves, we, would, we will be disappointed. And so God, this is a simple thing to say. I can say it all day, but it is so much harder to do. And I know that. But God, I want what you want more than what I want. Some of you have to start a step back. You have to say, God, I want to want what you want more than what I want, but I just don't right now. But I want to want it. So God, help me, help me want what you want and then give me the courage to actually let go because church, we know this to be true. Anytime you let go of what you want for what God wants, he promises to replace it with something so much better. It may not be better like you think it should be better. It may not be better right now. It may take a long time for you to see that. 
some of us may not even live to see that it is better. But if we are seeking God's will, in light of his eternal perspective, we can know, because of what we have seen, that God's will will always be better. God, I want what you want more than what I want, and the choice is yours. What I'd like to do now is pray for us, and, and I know for all of us, what I love about this message is God is speaking things to you that I have not even said. He is saying so much more to you than I could ever say in 35 minutes. And so I just challenge us to respond however, however we feel led. I know there's some of us that maybe you want to put your trust in Jesus for the first time today, and so I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and I'd love for you to pray that with me. So let's pray together this morning. God, thank you so much for this day and for this place. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for truth, truth that endures even though it can be offensive, it can be confusing, it can be challenging. But God, you stood for truth, and so God, we stand for truth here today. God, for all of us, we are in different places and we have different things that we want, and they may line up with your will and they might not. So God, I just pray that you give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we just heard, and then God, give us the courage to do it. God, for anybody here this morning that has not put their trust in you, I pray that today would be their day. We don't have to have it all together. Peter did not know what he was getting himself into, but he knew that you were worth following. So God, I pray that that person would just have the courage to take that first step today and say, Jesus, I'm in. What do I have to lose? I might as well give this a shot. So if that's anybody in the room today, I encourage you to just pray this uh, just to yourself between you and God in your own heart. Repeat this after me. Say, Father, forgive me for I've sinned come into my heart, save me, change me, I give you my life. God, for the rest of us again, just give us the courage to respond however we need to during this time. It's in Jesus' name, amen. If you need to talk to somebody, process with somebody, uh, we're gonna have counselors down front and in the back in our Connect Center. If you've, if you've given your life to Jesus, we wanna celebrate that with you today. It's the best choice you could ever make. And so man, come talk to somebody, go back to the Connect Center and tell them you made that choice. And we'll celebrate and help you with your next steps, all right? Let's stand and let's worship together.